praise his name. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 13. We're going to be skipping around quite a bit today. Uh, I left my notes at home this morning, <laughs> so I got that. Uh, so get ready. It's going to be a good sermon. If you have not already picked up uh, your financial summary and vision card for 2023, this is something we do every year to kind of let you know where we're at as a church. If you open it up, uh, you'll see some graphs and some charts, and we like to put the last couple years in there. We've got it from 2018 to 2022, our weekly attendance, our yearly income, our total giving units, where the money goes, all that kind of stuff is here uh, for you to peruse. This is important uh, for you to see. By God's grace, uh, we have been a black upward arrow since 2008 here at Four Points. Man, we started out in a living room in 2007 with seven people, and our uh, weekly average attendance last year was 875. And praise God. Amen. Uh, you know, with COVID, everything got so crazy, and you don't ever know, but uh, we're able to pay our staff this year. That's a good thing. Uh, our, our money's up. Uh, God has been good to our church, and why? That's what we're going to talk about today. It is gospel kingdom fruit. You know, it's really not hard. We make church so much harder than what it is, but this is really not rocket science. Keep it about Jesus stupid, right? Amen? Uh, churches that keep it about Jesus, churches that open their Bibles uh, and talk about the kingdom of God and who he is and what he's doing in the world, they are churches that grow because people are starving for the truth. We live in a hotbed of lies and misinformation. Everyone out there is selling something. And people see through the charade. They see through the misinformation. And they want to be able to, to stick their hands in something real, something authentic, something solid. They want to build their house upon the rock as Jesus commanded us to. So when the storms of life come crashing down, and who in here can testify that even for people who love Jesus, sometimes life gets hard. Can I get an amen? man there when life gets hard and when the storms of life come crashing down man when our uh, uh when our system is is solidly built on strong bedrock foundation uh our house stands when the rains stop and when the storm clouds part we're still i'm still standing i don't know where that came from but there you go so God's been good to us. You're part of a church that God is growing, that God is being good to, and I hope that excites you. Uh, we also have this card in the back of your seats this morning. Do take a look at that because uh, near the end as we move into communion, which we'll be partaking in today as a church body, uh, we've got some QR codes. Everybody's familiar with QR codes nowadays, thanks COVID and no menus at restaurants. <laughs> But if you're interested in our Remember series, uh, Love, where we unpacked the gospel, you can go to uh, those sermons. You can uh, find more information out about baptism, which is the next step after one puts their faith in Christ. You can find out uh, a little bit about that uh, under devotion. You can find out about our men's groups, our women's groups, or our small groups. If you want to go, uh, maybe you're married, you're with a spouse, you can go together, or if your schedules don't allow, check out a men's group or check out a, a woman's group. Then we have our passion teams. You can hit that QR code to see all the different areas. You can do, 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 do for the Lord Jesus here at Four Points. Uh, and then, of course, today our legacy piece for Remember. You can find more uh, about giving or membership uh, in this church. So, Bibles open, Matthew chapter 16. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we love you, and you have been good. We have seen your goodness. 
Lord Jesus, and some people are visiting for the first time, and some people have been around uh, for just a couple of months, but Lord Jesus, may, may that fire, may that spark fan into flame in their hearts to be part of what you're doing here. And Lord Jesus, if it can't be here, Lord God, lead them to a place where they can be used by you, your people on planet earth, marching to your drum and proclaiming your gospel. Help them find some place to feel uh, the power of your kingdom being alive here on planet earth and the eternal weight of glory that that brings with it. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You know, something we say every year, and I want to say it again, as we remember why, who we are, who God is, what he's doing in us, and how we make disciples here at Four Points Church. You know, every church has a flavor. And you may not be into our flavor. Maybe you're a rocky road person. Maybe you want somebody who doesn't wear a hoodie on most Sundays. This is just how I'm most comfortable. (laughs) Every church has a flavor, and this may not be the church where you can really lock arms uh, and do Christian life and proclaim the gospel with us. And if it's not, that's okay. It really is. That's okay. But I do care about you, believe it or not. I do love you, and I want you to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I want you to sense his presence. I want you to know him. I want you to know his word. I want you to feel the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you. And if it can't be here, we'll help you. We know of several churches around here. There's a new Presbyterian church. McNox just planned across town. That's going to be an awesome church. There are some good churches that open their Bibles and know the gospel, let us help you find somewhere. Because here's what can't happen. The excuse factory at some point in your life has to stop. The excuse factory of, well, I don't really like the layout of the church. I don't like the way they do this or that. Well, you know, I just, I really can't serve right now because my job is so demanding. And well, you know, uh, uh, my wallet's a little thin, so I'm not going to be a part of any kind of giving uh, strategy at church. Right, excuse, 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 excuse. Man, and I have heard all the excuses that I can handle for a lifetime. You need to be plugged in somewhere. If not here, let us help you find that place where you can experience the gospel in working ministry as part, as a member, part of a local church. It is the best thing for you. It is the best thing for your family. You need to be a part. Amen. No more excuses. I just saw, you know, it's, it's Legacy Sunday, and I was just back in the kitchen, and I saw J.J. Uh, Purnell and Michael Pines uh, back there in the kitchen. Both were kids here at the church. Both grew up here in the church, and now they're back there serving. Right? If we do this right, that's what it looks like. If we do this thing right, when we die, the gospel lives on. Love continues on. If we firmly root and build up the next generations in the gospel of Jesus Christ, praise God for the parents that I'm talking to who, who listen, if you got 17, 18, 19-year-olds and they're graduating high school and they're trying to figure out where to go to college, but the church makes it into their decision-making process because they don't want to be that far away from the church that they love, Praise God, we're doing something right, I think. God, that's what God does. And it ensures that when we close our eyes and we take our last breaths, kingdom, church, gospel work continues through those whom we have trained and raised up. And that is what our legacy piece is all about. If this thing dies when we die, we have done it wrong. We have focused on ourselves and not the king of glory. Let's read the Bible. Pontification over Bible reading beginning. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came 
into the district of, I'm going to say Caesarea Philippi because I've been saying that for 27 years. I think the correct way to say that, though, is Caesarea, but we're going to stick with Caesarea because no one really knows anyway. <laughs> so Jesus takes his disciples. Now, look, he's got these 12 Jewish guys. They are Jews of Jews. You remember some of their early conversations uh, when uh, they're, they're talking to their friends about this guy, Jesus, who has chosen them to be his disciples. One of the brothers says, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? The Messiah can't come from Nazareth. They had all these, these interesting conversations. But they all begin to follow Jesus, and they all begin to believe that he was, in fact, who he said he was. They were good Jewish boys who grew up in synagogue, who had, uh, to the best of their ability, memorized the Old Testament, uh, even though that they had uh, gone off and worked with their fathers because they couldn't cut the higher echelons of the academic world back then. Uh, they were blue-collar guys, but they loved Jesus, and they were following Jesus. And so where does Jesus take them? He takes them to this place where a a demigod named Pan is worshipped by the pagans. Now, Pan is a half man, half goat, kind of a centaur, not really, goat body, not horse body. And the pagans would come and they would make sacrifices and they would burn incense and they would practice uh, all kinds of disgusting and perverse uh, rituals with goats representing pants, so it's almost like being in a public school library nowadays. <laughs> I had to. That was just for you guys. It was a disgusting place. No Jewish man in the first century would have been comfortable where Jesus has taken them. And that's kind of the point that so many people miss at a cursory reading of Matthew chapter 16. Jesus takes his people where they do not want to be, where they do not want to go. Jesus moves us. Yeah. I'm going to butcher this, but there's a saying. People do not change until the cost of change is uh, less than the cost of staying the same. Did I say that somewhat right? God puts us in situations where we have to. Nobody changes until they have to. That is a true statement. I know in my own life, over and over and over, I've read the Bible, I've known what was right, I've known what was good, uh, but I just haven't had the strength or the capacity to make changes in my life until the Holy Spirit comes down and messes me up so good, it's easier to change than it is to stay where I'm at. God is always pushing his people forward. Some of you, just at the beginning of this service, you, you're, you know that our lives are temporary and you see this eternal work of the gospel laid out before you. You see it happening here at Four Points, but it's still not enough to push you into the uncomfort. Be careful, because God loves to disturb the nest just enough to we don't feel comfortable where we're at anymore. And so change becomes inevitable in our lives. It's how God moves people forward. If you're uncomfortable right now, it is good. It means God loves you and God has a plan. And he's, uh, he's bringing you into what he is doing in the world, and it is a wonderful, beautiful thing. He takes his disciples to, to Caesarea Philippi. I'm going to say it like a Georgian. <laughs> and he asks his disciples, now this is a weird question. What, what are people saying about me? Now, if you and your small group this week, if you sit down and Everybody's there and you've just eaten and so you're sitting on the couch and you've got your Bibles open, your study guide open. If anyone in the circle leans in and asks the question, what are people saying about me? It's going to be a much different conversation than Jesus has with his disciples. Because you're going to have to, to lean in and go, hey, uh, buddy, uh, 
Nobody's talking about you. (laughs) I love this part of the Bible. But people were talking about Jesus. Jesus. Everywhere he went. And and listen, he had way more than 12 disciples. There's a portion of the the Gospels where he sends out 70 disciples to go and evangelize. He's He's got 70 trained guys following him around at one point. He's got hundreds of people who have come to listen to him speak. And when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they all begin to disperse. To which makes Jesus ask the disciples, are you two going to leave me? And the 12 say, where would we go? You have the words of life. That's the kind of Christians we want here at Four Points. Where else? There's nowhere else for us to go. We are all in. We believe you over all things. You have the words of life. We got nowhere else. Jesus, in the midst of all this ministry uproar and and crowds coming and going, from hearing him speak, he asked the question, who do people say that I am? And this is the question. And what we're going to see is 2,000 years has not changed people all that much because people are still talking about Jesus. Every time I turn on the television, somebody's mentioning his name, somebody's mentioning the church, somebody's mentioning the Bible. People are still very interested in Jesus, and they say all kinds of things about him, just like they do here. Well, he was a good man, he was a prophet, he was a spiritual man, a holy man. He was, a, he, he was someone who uh, achieved godlike power and influence. He was a a high level in the church of Scientology. He had influence like Tom Cruise over people. He could make them buy jackets that he wears. Tom Cruise is such a ding dong. (laughs) Who do people say the son of man is? And again, that son of man, that's Jesus' favorite designation for himself. It comes out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, uh, directly referring to the Messiah. Jesus knew exactly who he was. And they said, just like people today say all kinds of things about Jesus, they said, some say, you're John the Baptist, which is the weirdest one of all of these things because John the Baptist had just lost his head a few months earlier. They, They lived at the same time. In fact, they were cousins. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, these these great prophets from Old Testament history. Or one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, and and again, this is the question. Because people are talking about Jesus. But what's really important is what do you say about him? Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Translation, you are the Messiah. From Christ means the anointed one. It's a title. Jesus' last name is not Christ. He is titled with the name Christ because he is God's anointed one who has come to save the world from her sins. This is who Jesus is. He's the one. Simon says, you are the one we have been waiting on. You're the one foretold way back in Genesis chapter 3. From the seed of a woman, you're going to crush the head of the serpent. You are the guy we've been waiting on. You are the anointed one, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. The bars only mean son of uh, in uh, this first century context. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Joseph, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon, I know you didn't get here of your own accord. You had help. From my father and all the reformed brothers and sisters in the room say, that's how it works. (laughs) You had help 
My Father has helped you see who I am. And you have answered correctly about who I am. And I tell you, Simon Bar-Jonah, you are Peter. Now this is the, now he's called Peter throughout the Gospels, but this is where Jesus gives him the name Peter. And that word means, his name means little rock, pebble, something you can pick up and throw. Still a strong name, nothing to be ashamed of here, but it means a small rock. So yeah, you're sturdy. I, I'm changing. You got it right. I'm changing your name to Small Rock. Your name is now Peter. And on this rock. Now some people confuse. Catholics confuse these verses because they think the church is built upon Peter. But this is a different word than the name uh, that Peter gets. It's a different word. Petra. It means immovable mountain, mountain, not something you can pick up and just toss away, but something so stable and so firm, it cannot be moved. Peter, you're getting a name change. My father helped you. You got the answer right. I am the Christ, and it is upon this rock, that rock being the statement and the confession. We are a historic, orthodox, confessional Christian church. To be Christian means to believe in Christ. Uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart uh, that he has saved you from your sins, you shall be saved. This is the historic right way to see the gospel. Peter sees it right here in Matthew chapter 16. For the first time he makes the confession, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, upon this immovable statement, upon this mountain that cannot be tossed aside, I am going to do something. Jesus says, I am going to build my church. And the, what you are sitting in right now, Jesus has been building for 2,000 years. Are you really scared what some ding-dong politician is saying in Washington? Do you know how many nations have come and gone in the last 2,000 years? And the church has stood the test of time. Why? Because the Bible is true and every man is a liar. And what Jesus is building, no person, no nation, no group, no special interest can thwart or stop. We are part of the church that Jesus Christ is building. We are raising our children in something that Jesus is doing. Firm foundations. Mountains that cannot be moved. The gates of hell will not prevail. But Brent, it's so scary. Brent, it looks like everything's going under. The gates of hell will not prevail. Gates of hell are coming after the church. That's what that means. They're coming after, but they will not prevail because Jesus is going to build his church. And here's what I know. Whether here or somewhere else, you need to be part of the church that Jesus is building. Now, I really don't have time for this, but I just want to do a little systematic theology with you this morning. As we talk about, well, what does that mean? What is a church? Because you've got decisions to make. You've got to decide the church that Jesus is building, where you're going to raise your family, where you're going to, to serve, where you're going to become a member. you got to figure out where it is and what is it. Because guess what? You ask 11 people, you get 12 answers about what a church is. Some people think it's just a couple guys out at Buffalo's Wild Wings watching the game and you mention a Bible verse or maybe you go through a Tony Dungy book because that's what Christians do nowadays. And the no laughs there. I seriously got invited to a, a Bible study with some guys. They, they were like, we're reformed and we want to do this. And I was like, all right, I'll come to your Bible study. What are we studying? Oh, we're going to go through that Tony Dungy book. I was like, 
That is, I'm no offense to Tony Dungy, love the guy, but that's a waste of my time. <laughs> I want to study what God says. So what is a church according to the scripture? Well, the first clue we get is from the word church. First time it's used in the gospels. Matthew chapter 16. The word in the Greek is ekklesia. And it wasn't a new word that Jesus made up out of thin air. It actually meant a gathered assembly that has come together for a specific purpose. That's what the word defined means. Now today we can redefine words all day long and nobody bats an eye. But for 2,000 years the word ekklesia has been the gathered together body that has come together for a specific reason. So the reason that our church gathers together is for the reason that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. We come to celebrate, worship, and proclaim who he is together. There's no such thing as a church that doesn't gather, which is why if anyone ever tells us again that our doors have to be chained shut, our answer is going to be, we'll see you in prison. Yeah, man, clap for something this morning. <laughs> Down with the government. <laughs> I have mentioned Jesus' name a bunch of times, and you're clapping for down the government. That, that might be a problem. <laughs> might be a problem. God help us. We are called to come together. Now listen, on this thing, we got this a little wrong. We just put... We just put the sermons viewed weekly on our app, which is about 116 on average per week. But we forgot to add in YouTube and we forgot to add in our live streams on Sunday morning. And listen, you get a pass if you're listening online this morning because if 400 of you more showed up on a Sunday, we'd be in big trouble around here. But that's about on average people who are, are checking in, listening in. Uh, we had over 10,000 sermons downloaded last year just from our app alone. Praise God, the gospel's going out. But here's the good news. Been talking with our builder. We've had a lot of issues with this land. You know, it's raw land and trying to figure out a, a city sewer is a, a mile, a million and a half dollars away to, to, to plug into. So we're on septic systems and there's just so many rules and regulations. We wanted a second entrance. That didn't work after about six months of trying to figure out how to make that work. We just said, DOT, you can have it. We'll just cut out the second entrance. We'll just have one entrance. But the good news is... We're far along in our permitting process, and our builder believes that we could have shovels in the ground in just a couple months. Woo! Praise God! That's good news. And when that building's built, get off your butts and get to church. Praise God for technology and use it when you need to. If you're sick, if you can't come, if you're on vacation, praise God. But we need to be here together. There's something that happens here. There is a sense. And I have watched sermons when Sarah and I have been traveling. I, I checked in with uh, on Christmas Day service. Uh, Pastor Nick brought the word. Pastor Jeremy uh, has brought the word. Um, and you can sense the Holy Spirit when you're watching. But in those moments, I just wanted to be here. Because there's something about being in real time, real life, Holy Spirit, gospel proclamation moving. We're going to get these buildings built. Come back to church. COVID was two years ago. It's not an excuse anymore. It's just not. The word itself means the gathered together body. Let me tell you some other things about the church that you should be looking for to lock arms with. It needs to have qualified leadership. Did you know, and you could go to Philippians chapter 1, you can go to Hebrews chapter 13, but did you know there are three books of the New Testament that are written to pastors so that they can put the church together in 
order that it's supposed to occur uh, and how to train, how to choose and train the leaders for that church locally. Three of them, they're called the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And both men and women are spoken to, given very clear definitions for what leadership in a church looks like and how the church should gather and how the church should operate and how the church should run. And we have studied those books over and over and over. And one of the reasons that God is blessing us here at Four Points is we take those books seriously. A lot of churches do not, but we take it very seriously. And in all the, I've got 17 minutes, but hopefully we're going to get the church planning here in a second. Because not only do we vet in-house those that we raise up and send out, but we use uh, Acts 29 network and third parties to, to vet our leaders to make sure that we're not missing anything. We want to raise up godly men to plant godly churches, amen? Qualified leadership matters. So two guys at Buffalo's Wild Wings doesn't cut the mustard. Something else, you need to be a New Testament church. You need to preach and to worship. I don't know if you've seen the nonsense that's been going around for about 10 years, but what we like to do nowadays is have conversations. Conversations is not preaching. Preaching is the unadulterated, unabashed, unashamed proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done. And you can't fully proclaim it without calling people's sin out and calling them to repent of their sin and follow Jesus. Sin is a part of Christian life. And even though we're striving for holiness, it's one of the marks of a New Testament Christian church. But we're not perfect, which is why repentance has got to be part of our weekly gathering. We have a, a time in our service for public repentance that I hope we all take advantage of because last I checked, there's only one guy who's perfect and it's none of us. <laughs> His name is Jesus. We've got to proclaim the gospel. We've got to use our words because nobody's going to sit under a tree and come up with it on their own. The gospel is an act that occurred in history and to know history, you have to be taught history. Which is why we open our Bibles and proclaim it and worship Jesus for living the perfect life we have not. And dying in our place for our sins so that we can be forgiven and reconciled unto God. Not just now, but through eternity. Preaching and worship have to be part of whatever church you decide to lock arms with. Also, rightly administered sacraments. Now, how many of you want to talk about foot washing? There are two sacraments the church has largely agreed on. Uh, when we talk about foot, well, Jesus did say, do this. Uh, I'm, what I'm doing for you, you do. But there, there's a cultural context there and where they walked around in open-toed sandals in dirt streets. And the custom of the day when you were invited in somewhere, there would be someone washing feet because uh, you reclined at a table. Uh, you weren't in a chair sitting up high. No, your feet were right there next to the grapes. So they washed feet and so the, the 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 cultural implication of that is we should serve one another uh, but there are two sacraments uh, in the New Testament baptism and communion that we should actively be engaged in and if you're in a church and there's no baptisms and if you're in a church and they don't participate in the Lord's Supper you need to find a new church further spirit Unity. The whole book of Ephesians, but go to Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. There should be unity in the church that cannot be found in other uh, organizations where people come together. Now, does that mean the church is perfect and we always agree on everything? No. 
But it does mean we are striving for that unity and we're finding out what are the things we should die on the hill for and what are the things we should not. Which is why on our website we have an open hand and a closed hand. We have spent hundreds of hours trying to figure out where we can align and be unified in the person and work of Christ and what doesn't matter as much like Easter eggs and trick-or-treating. I know some of you, that's a hill you want to die on. But we can't die on every hill. So here's the hills we're going to die on. Jesus is God. God made everything good. We're the ones that messed it up with our sin. He came, lived a life we have not, perfect, died in our place for our sins, rose conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he is the answer, the only answer for human sin problem. And right now he is in session at the right hand of God. I can go on. (laughs) Calling our names out. Interceding for us. That we might realize the kingdom of God here and now. As we worship and proclaim Jesus Christ. 11, I'm not going to get past the church part of this sermon. I can already tell. But we've got to unify on the things that we can feel good about spilling blood together on the same battlefield. Instead of nitpicking every little thing that we can. Vegetarians and pescatarians and whether we can eat meat or not. There are better things to fight about. We're pursuing Unity in God's spirit as we say no to some fights and yes to others that are most important for the Christian faith. A church should be pursuing holiness. Again, are any of us perfect? No, we all stumble in many ways. James the just, the half-brother of Jesus, said that. He's the guy who wrote James which Martin Luther hated that book for a long time. He called it an epistle of straw because it talked about works, 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 works. They said that James the just knees were like the knees of camels because he spent so many hours on his knees every day in prayer. But even James said we all stumble in many ways. But here's the, here's the thing we've got to remember. As a church of Jesus Christ, 1 John 2, 6, those who claim to live in him must walk the way that Jesus walked. If we truly love him, we will follow his commands. And as brothers and sisters together, we are trying to fan that flame in one another's hearts. And we are trying to undergird one another and encourage one another and fight for one another and build up one another in our pursuit of holiness because holiness pleases God and we want to reflect him well I am for I said I was 46 years old a couple weeks ago Sarah was like do you not even know how old you are (laughs) I'm 47 and I'll be the first to tell you I am not a perfect man Uh, but I am such a different man than I was at 21 years old when Jesus saved me and by God's grace by God's grace I'm closer to him now than I have ever been. And that is the walk of a Christian person. We don't ever hit perfection. He is the perfect one. It's why he had to die in our place for our sins. But oh, as we get closer to him, as we move closer to him, the sin that so easily entangles just begins to fall off as he becomes a bigger picture in our sphere of vision and everything else fades away. What's, oh, I wish John Wright was here because we could sing that song together. All the things of this world grow so strangely dim. Okay. <laughs> Not with me on that one. Eight minutes, let's go. Two, two more things. This is the kind of church you need to be a part of. Church that believes the great commandment. Love God and love others. Jesus said it was the greatest commandment and the Pharisees and the rabbis and the scribes couldn't say anything about it. In fact, the one rabbi who asked the question said, you have chosen wisely. (laughs) Well, if he really is God, no duh, right? And Jesus is God. 
And we are to be loving one another. Remember in the first century, we've talked entire sermons about this. Seneca and other Roman historians, it was the way Christians loved one another that had them scratching their heads because no one else was living the way that those early Christians were living. But they didn't just stay gathered, loving one another. Last thing, a church that you need to be involved in does, according to the New Testament, because it is the Great Commission. It is what Jesus said now to verb, go and do. We've got to gather together to preach and worship and sacraments and and all the things we just walked through. But we also disperse to evangelize. You know, evangelicalism is not a bad word. And it's who we are. We are an evangelical church. We gather to worship and we disperse to, to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples and to bring to church so we can make disciples it's who, who we are called to be. And in a world where Christianity is silent, you need to be part of a church that is pushing the commission upon you so that gospel legacy will occur. Listen, gospel legacy is going to occur regardless because Jesus is building his church. But I want it to occur here in Ackworth. And guess what? There's just a few churches over here in Ackworth. So, Lord Jesus, please help us to see gospel legacy happen here in our part of the world through our evangelical efforts. All right, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Anybody got any questions on the church? (laughs) It's a lot of information. And I know you're drinking out of a fire hose, but some of you have been around a long time and you're just going, yes, 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 yes. And some of you, you're learning this stuff for the very first time. But the New Testament is clear on what we should be doing. And those things are what we should be doing. And if this is the church where you say, yes, I see all of those things in the New Testament and I want to lock arms and I want to do this with four points. This local expression of the global church of Jesus Christ. We want you to lock arms and we want you to help. Not only do we want you to get baptized if you have not been, we want you to come regularly on Sundays. You know the average family comes to church twice a month? It's just not enough gospel. I mean, maybe you're at home doing what you need to do, and every day you're in God's word and raising. Maybe you're doing it all right, but but it's not enough gospel to be part of the gathered church just twice a month. We want you to lock arms, and we want you to be involved. Because this is how, this is the only way we know how to make disciples. Because it's really hard for me to say that you are a mature disciple if you come twice a month. And you're not involved in a small group. You're not growing. You're not knowing and being known. You're not growing in the word with other people. You're not serving anybody or loving anybody or following the great commandment. It's just hard for me. Mature disciples, you know why, why we call it legacy? Every mature organism is able to reproduce. So how can we call ourselves mature disciples? If we are not reproducing the life of Christ that we are experiencing in the lives of other people. That's what maturity means. The ability to reproduce. And we want you to come here. We want you to get involved. And we want you to reproduce with us. Here's how that works. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 2. We're going to go through this quick because i got four minutes. Everything that happens in the New Testament is happening for the first time. Jesus just ascends. Peter starts preaching. A church is born. 3,000 people get saved in the first sermon. Another 5,000 get saved in the second sermon. Because the Holy Spirit's at work through the proclamation of the word. But then they realized they had a bunch of needs. So Paul tells the Corinthians, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. What's the first thing we learn? Right, because what's the last conversion that every person goes through? Somebody better know Martin Luther's saying here. 
the wallet. Yeah, the purse. There you go. The purse. Paul says, every week, regularly put something aside as he may prosper. Uh, Some of your Bibles will say, in keeping with your income. Here's what that tells me. If a man who has $10 million puts $100 in the offering plate, he might feel good about that, but that's not generous because it's not in keeping with his income. Now, if a man only has $100 and puts $10 in, that's giving in keeping with his income, and the angels celebrate. But our financial investment in the kingdom of God, our worship of God with our money should be in keeping, should be regular and in keeping with our income. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 6 through 9, 6 through 8. Brent, we're talking about money. You don't ever do that. I know. And read this. Because the first thing I love to tell people is God doesn't need your money. But God does give us an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And again, I want you to be a part of what God is doing here. If you can't do it here, no excuses. Find somewhere you can do it. Find somewhere you feel good about it. But may your wallet be converted. I talk to people all the time. Well, you know, when I make a little bit more money, then I'll be generous. If you're not generous right now with what you have, you'll never be generous. It's just the way it works. Verse 6, so what do we know already about God's ask of his people to give? It should be regular. It should be in keeping with your income. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now look down, we're not going to read it, but look down at verse 10. Because Dave Ramsey and so many others say, you know, if you give money to God, he's going to give you a bunch of money back. That's not what it means. Don't expect to win the lottery if you write a check. It's talking about a harvest of righteousness. When we sow into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God grows and expands around us and we get to be part of it. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Even though we are heavily involved and we've planted four churches in a third world country, why do we not bring videos and and show little swollen bellied babies with flies walking across their eyeballs? You've seen the videos. It's because that's not how God's people are to give. We are never to give under compulsion. We're never to give because someone is making a big ask. No, we are to regularly set aside in keeping with our income a gift for God because we love him and we want to sow into his kingdom because we want to see his kingdom and the righteousness that come with his kingdom. We want to see it reaped all around us. We want to see it in our children's lives. We want to see it in the next generation being raised up. That's why we give. And it shouldn't be out of compulsion. It should be a joy. It should be cheerful. And by God's grace, let me just brag on you in a church that has never taken up an offering. You are a cheerfully giving people. And praise God for the work and fruit of the gospel that we see as a result. Amen? Now, let's talk about, since we don't have any time left, let's talk about church planting. Because mature organisms reproduce themselves. You can read our vision on the back of our financial brochure. But by God's grace, we planted Cartersville campus. We raised up people that used to sit in this room. If you've been around since 2020 and you've been serving and you've been loving on kids and you've been putting checks into offering plate, you gave birth to a baby. New life, new church in Cartersville. They met five times and then COVID hit and they had to shut their doors. By God's grace, who can stop the church? Can COVID stop the church? 
No, COVID can't stop the church. None can thwart what God is building. And today, just in three years, they are completely self-supporting uh, and working towards helping us plant another church. Amen. Yeah. In fact, I'm going over there as soon as I'm done with the second service. We've got a big Titus meeting today while we're instructing and investing in, in uh, others who we think can, can lead God's charge all over uh, our area. So now that we've got them self-supporting, we're looking toward our next plant. We've got a date because every leadership book I've ever read said, don't just write something down on paper. That's just a good idea until you put a date beside it. Then it's a goal. <laughs> So, so we did. January 2024. Uh, we've already chosen uh, a, a man from our eldership who has been with us six, seven, eight years. Nick Steineken. Nick, stand up for us, buddy. You and Tracy will. They are in the Acts 29 process right now. We hope to be done around May and can really begin doing some core group building because... We want to raise up and we want to send out because that's what the Bible tells us to do. We're not just going to sit here in Ackworth and build a little kingdom to ourselves. We're going to keep sending and keep giving and keep supporting and keep doing all the things that God has called us to do. And I hope that you will be a part of it. I hope that we'll continue to see your kids right now teaching the gospel to other kids in 10 years. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father, there is so much in your word, it's impossible in 45 minutes to get, to get anything out. But Lord God, you always do just enough in our hearts and in our lives. You choose the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> the foolishness of, of men and women coming together to do your work. And, and we stand in awe of you. For the last 15 years, we've stood in awe of how you use us. Lord Jesus, light a fire in the hearts and minds of your men and women that we may continue to stand in awe of all that you will do through us in the future. And Lord Jesus, Father, when we do leave this world and we see the true reality of the impact of our gospel proclamation. Oh Lord God, may we throw our crowns at your feet and rejoice just as you say we will for the lives we'll spend loving you and serving you on planet earth. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.